It was practices, drug transactions, film sessions, drug transactions, classes, drug transactions, just over day in and day out. Like, I don't even know how I survived. This is my comeback story. This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. Welcome back. Good morning. We are live from the studio on The Comeback. Very excited to be back in our series of inspiring through people's stories, their journeys of comeback stories and facing adversity, um, some external, some that they created themselves, but uh, the reality of God's goodness and His ability to be able to save no matter if somebody else caused the mistake or that, that we generated those ourselves. I'm here this morning with Daryl Stinson, a friend of mine and somebody that um, he is involved in all things leadership. Uh, He is a pastor. Uh, He recently did a TEDx talk that was incredible on rejection, Uh, played college football, Um, has done it all. But there was a time in his life where the man that he is today, I don't think it started that way. Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) No, man, it didn't start that way. And, um, you know, for me, it... It, uh, you know, I was a I was a really good kid growing up, man. Um, all A student, um, super smart, and it accelerated learning classes. And uh, I was the type of guy that went to church like all the time. Grandma drugged me to church, like uh, pulled me by my ear. I actually gave my heart to Christ when I was nine years old, wow. and um, surrendered my. It was a true conversion, man. I mean, uh, I walked to the altar. I surrendered my life to Jesus and I had big faith. I like, you know, I used to do dumb stuff like close my eyes and walk across a busy street and say, God, lead me. I don't recommend it. (laughs) But like in my mind as a nine-year-old, that's how real he was and how like clear his voice was, I guess. Uh, I didn't use an alarm clock. I used to pray like that he would wake me up in the morning. Again, not something that I would recommend, (laughs) but just my, my level of faith, I guess, at that time. And, um, you know, uh, was going to church like seven days a week. I was a, a junior deacon. I was in a, a travel choir. Can't sing. Don't ask me to sing. Uh, <laughs> and just just I, literally like seven days a week, there was always a rehearsal for a play or something. And had some uh, pastors that I looked up to and wanted to be like. Um, and one of them uh, went to prison for doing some really bad things. Uh, another one of them sexually molested a young girl in our church. Mm. And then the church had some uh, a divorce happen from the lead pastor, and I mean the church just went from thriving young young kids in the building to just mm. completely like dramatic to where you know we weren't even getting the sermon. It was it, it was a uh, an argument in the middle of service, and that caused me to question the faith, and I and I started to ask questions and I started to do research and I I, kind of just got led astray. You know, I I figured since, you know, they backslid or or made poor decisions that that meant what they believed in wasn't true. And then I started to read some articles that caused me to question the the faith I had in Jesus. And that just began this long journey of of really becoming agnostic, uh, believing in a lot of secret societies and, and, and all this just weird beliefs and um, had no no type of belief in Jesus. Just like I thought that it was just all religion was just made to control people and get their money. <laughs> and uh, you know uh, you know what that is when you don't have any faith, you don't have any foundation. Mm. And 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 when life hits you in the mouth, uh, you know you, you've got nothing to stand on, nothing to help you keep going. And so 
I, I attached my identity to sports. Uh, sports was the thing that got me affirmation, value, uh, recognition from others. And I just fell in love. Like, you know, I say, like, that's probably the first addiction, right? Was uh, addic- addiction to people pleasing, addiction to what they had to say. And so, uh, you know, the, the better I got at sports, the more they praised me. Uh, you know, I mentioned this in my TEDx talk, but it, uh, sports for me also helped me not to have to choose between a white crowd and a black crowd. Uh, because whether I was, you know, uh, hanging out, selling drugs, or whether I was studying, people would talk to me about the sports game, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so I didn't have to choose between two sets of friends. And so uh, I just fell in love with that thing, man, and it, it was the way I was going to become rich, famous, buy everybody a house and a car, and get my whole family out of poverty and just dominate the world, you know, it was all about me. And uh, that came to a crashing halt after I got a back injury my freshman year in college at Central Michigan University. Mm. Uh, I was just, it's just a freak of nature, you know, uh, type of accident. I was, I was trying to impress people with how strong I was, squatting too much too soon, came up wrong, and I pinched a nerve in my back, and, and that, was, that was really it. And because I was so pain tolerant, I went like that for like six months, still working out, still kicking butt because I was super athletic, so nobody knew anything was wrong. And then one day I looked down, and my left leg is like jello. And I'm like, what's, what's going on? I go, I get an MRI. I had to have emergency back surgery because my left leg was going to go paralyzed from the pinched nerve. Wow. So uh, that was it, man. Freshman year, I had a full ride scholarship. So, you know, I could have just focused on my education, got it paid for for free, and came around sports whenever I wanted. It was like the golden ticket. But for me, sports wasn't what I did. It was who I was. My identity was my God. So I couldn't let it go like that. So I signed a liability waiver uh, to be able to uh, continue to play Division One football. I rehabilitated my body like crazy, and that began this addiction to opioids and all all types. So I always did drugs, but that was the true like addiction, you know. Because when you have back surgery and you're a Division One athlete, you can get anything you want. And then on top of that, I was selling drugs, so I had the money to pay for. Anything that I could get off the street. <laughs> so I'm just uh, two years of just extreme, just using to numb my pain to continue to play this game. And my life was crazy. I mean, I couldn't, I, I couldn't probably tell you very little memories from them because every day it was practices, drug transactions, film sessions, drug transactions, classes, drug transactions, just over day in and day out. I mean, like, I don't even know how I survived. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you take a, a downer to get you through through <laughs> through the pain and then you take an upper to make sure you got energy for practice. I mean, it was terrible. So uh, going into my senior year, uh, it just it just became too much. Um, I, I had a, like a permanent hunch in my back. Um, and uh, I did manage to come back and play and start and all that stuff because I was athletic. But um, you could look at my film and see that, man, this guy's in true pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I was taking so many opioids that my blood was thinning. And every time I made contact on the field, my nose would bleed. Wow. And the coach was like, we don't know what this guy is doing, but we got to stop it before we get ourselves in big trouble. So they terminated my liability waiver, kicked me off the team. And that's when I had to face the pain that I was masking with my addiction. Wow. Uh, I couldn't hide behind success. I couldn't hide behind sports. I couldn't hide behind char- my, my charisma anymore. Um, and I had to face the reality that I pissed away my education. I hadn't learned a thing since I started selling drugs in high school. Um, I found a way to cheat. I found a way to get by. I didn't know who I was. I had no faith. Um, and I, all of this success that I projected in sports and on the cameras, Deep down inside, I was deeply insecure. And so I always tell people, like, 
man, you know, this isn't just something that afflicts people who, you know, came from uh, a fatherless background with, and they're broke and had no money and um, the scum of the earth. So this affects people who are successful, man. And some people hide behind that success, their brokenness. And that was me. And uh, I had to face it. And, and, and the thought of dealing with that w- was too much to handle. Yeah. And uh, I just got depressed. Um, I didn't think that there was anything worth living for. And so uh, that just sent me into a really dark battle with uh, suicidal ideation and attempts. Wow. And uh, I don't know, man. You know, I, I just, you know, I try not to go there mentally because it's just such a dark place. But, you know, I remember writing suicide letters and uh, I remember uh, swallowing a whole bottle of pills hoping that I wouldn't wake up the next day. And I'm not talking about like Vicodin, man. I mean, although that would be dangerous. I mean, I'm talking about hardcore pills. And um, I remember waking up the next day and nothing was wrong. I mean, I wasn't even high. And I was so mad that I couldn't even kill myself. You know, I had access to guns. I never carried it because I seen stuff growing up and I never wanted to make the wrong move. Uh, But I used to think that I was a coward for not going and getting a gun and just ending it. Uh, But really, I recognized that that was actually incredible strength. And 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 I always say that to people struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts is that, like, like you're not a coward because you haven't like went through with it yet. You're actually incredibly strong. It takes more strength to keep going when you don't feel like it than it does to give in. That's good. So good. And um, so, you know, I went through that and made multiple attempts, and this landed me in a psychiatric unit. Again, remember, I had no faith in any type of religion at all. And while I was there at the psychiatric unit, I had a life-changing experience that just uh, gave me hope and purpose and helped me to believe that my life mattered and was worth living. And if you've never heard the story, uh, you know, at this point, uh, I had went from 275 pounds to 219 pounds because I, w- I wasn't eating. My mother was the one that admitted me into the psychiatric unit. I had been crying for so long because uh, my girlfriend for four and a half years left me and got engaged to another man because I was no longer going to the NFL. And um, from crying over her and all these problems in my life, my eyes were swollen to the point where I couldn't even open them, but just a little slit. Uh, that's important because uh, the woman that shared Jesus with me walked into the room. I call her the woman with green pants <laughs> because all I could see is out of the slit out of the bottom of my eyes. And I could just see that she had on green like nursing pants. She walks into uh, my hospital room and she says, hey, I don't even have jurisdiction to be back here in this part of the hospital. But I feel like God sent me back here to tell you that you need to say yes to him. And I'm like, who is this lady? You know, I'm like, leave me alone. This lady wrapped me in her arms and prayed for me. For my mom said for like 15 minutes. For me, it felt like two seconds because all I remember in my head is saying, leave me alone. I just want to die. She left and she said she would come back uh, probably sometime later. I don't know how many minutes or whatever, but my grandmother, who was the one that drug me to church growing up, she comes in. Uh, she had driven from an hour away from Jackson. I was in Detroit, Michigan at the psychiatric unit, about an hour drive. She bust, burst through the door. She says, honey, I've been praying for you all the way here. You know exactly what to do. God told me that you need to say yes to him. Wow. Oh, man. It's the same command a second time. So powerful. And I couldn't deny that it was God speaking to me. Mm. But my heart was so hard. 
I had so much doubt. I've read so much stupid stuff that I just couldn't believe a real encounter that I was having. And and rather than surrender in that moment, um, I told my grandma, that's your God. That's not for me. And my grandma prayed for me for like five minutes. And she she backed away. She stepped up. At, the, at this point, my grandma's in the room. My dad's in the room. I think uh, at least one of my sisters were there. I think my, my stepmom was there or my mother-in-law or whatever whatever my dad's wife is. I always get that mixed up. But they're there, and they're looking at me not like you can feel the hopelessness in the room. Like we have no clue how to help this guy. The best way I know how to describe it is this, is it just got real dark and real heavy. You could feel the depression in the room. You could feel the heaviness in the room. And I just heard the voice of God say, son, will you say yes to me? And it was something about hearing the father's voice that gave me the strength to mutter out a, yes, Lord. Mm. And the moment I said it, just like that, that depression I was facing for years broke. And it felt so good, Trey. I didn't know what else to do. I just kept screaming, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. The doctor runs in the room because he's like, what's going on? He can see tangibly. I mean, my eyes got healed. I could open them. I could see again. He, he comes in and he's like, what's going on? And I promise you, this is exactly what I said. I said, I was running from God and I just surrendered to him. Mm. He said, send him upstairs. <laughs> 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 and so he still had to admit me to the psychiatric unit. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, That's dude. Right. But I had changed, man. Wow. And uh, that really just began this, this journey of, of faith and, and, and taking that encounter and really figuring out what it means to be a Christian and a disciple of Jesus. Yeah. Learning the Bible, learning prayer, learning how to surround myself by healthy relationships. And it still took probably about six to nine months uh, to, to get rid of the selling part of things because uh, God completely delivered me from addiction. Uh, but that, that ability to make like 10 G's in a, in a day, um, just from a transaction was addictive and it took some time. Um, multiple words at the altar, um, just the Holy spirit convicted me some legal situations, people getting busted around me. Mm-hmm. So I finally just, you know, took my last batch of drugs and just threw it in the dumpster, man. And just say, God, this, this, I don't want this in my life. It, it, this is not a part of my life anymore, and this is not who I am anymore. Um, and a few things for for those that are, are listening that I think my story could be helpful and encouraging. Um, number one, uh, the Bible said the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, yeah. and that means. That at our worst day, he's still just as much in love with us as he is on our best day. I mean, you look at uh, the way that Jesus behaved and you look at how, uh, you know, people who are crucifying him, gambling for his garments. I mean, just treating him horribly and him saying, forgive them for they know not what they do. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's his heart towards us. It never changes based upon our performance or our behavior or our good works. That's the gospel, is that it's not about what we do. It's about what he did. And I say that because 
even when I was agnostic, even though I was talking people out of the faith that I'm now talking them into, he was still zealously pursuing me. Yeah. He was always right there. And after I surrendered my life to Christ, I started to look at all these moments that, oh my God, God was there. That was God. That was Jesus helping me. That was the Holy Spirit intervening. There was a reason why you know, I got high and fell asleep at the wheel for 10 minutes and didn't drive off the side of the road. Mm-hmm. There was a reason why I swallowed a whole bottle of pills and, and didn't wake up dead the next day. It was because he loved me so much to extend that mercy to me. And that love, if, if, if it matters then, if it's consistent then, it's just as consistent when I'm, I'm doing good and I'm pastoring, I'm doing TEDx talks. Yeah. And that was important for me to learn as a believer because I don't know what it is about us that the moment we get saved, it's like we get saved by grace, but we think we have to stay saved by works. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And and it's not true, you know. Obviously, you got you, you pray and all that stuff, but it's not because you're trying to earn something from God. Mm-hmm. It's because you're just grateful for what He did already. Yeah, you know, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You know that He'll come and abide in you. So so I, I think it took me so long to figure out, like, yo, when I have a bad day, you know, even though it took me some time to let go of the drugs, like God was still just as much there, close to me as he was when I'm, like, preaching the sermon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that we need to know that, um, and you need to know that no matter how far you think you are away from God, he's right there just saying, let me in. And it's that simple. And that's and that's why we can have revival, because today is the day of salvation, and it can happen at any moment. Uh, we don't have to wait till we're, you know, listening to Trey preach at a Friday night <laughs> service That's right. to put our faith in Christ. We can do it right here now on the podcast mm-hmm. because he's that close yeah. in that pursuit. So that's that's number one. Um, you know, I think the other thing, too, is, um, you know, they, they labeled me. And, and I know some people, you know, I don't know what your belief is, but I know, you know, there's science that proves that addiction, you know, is an allergy um, and, I, and I got labeled clinically depressed and, and all that stuff. And, um, you know, there's such a stigma that comes along with that. And I think one of the things I learned is, is just because you've got um, some things wrong with you doesn't mean you're less valuable. We've got to stop refusing to get the help that we need because of the perception or the stigma that comes along with mental illness, addiction, or, or whatever your issue is. And we just got to say, like, I can still have this issue, mental illness. I can still be labeled clinically depressed. I can still see a counselor. Guess what? Hey, I still do today. Yeah. (laughs) Because we all need that voice in our life. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know what? God can still work through my life, even though I've got issues. And and, and I I think people need to know that. And so if you struggle with any of those things, you just need to know, like, it's okay to, to get professional help and know that you're not less valuable to God. That's good. Um, and that you're not disqualifying yourself from being used by God. Yeah. And then the last thing is, is, is this. There's this scripture that we all quote, but sometimes I really wonder if we believe it. You ready for it? Mm. That God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can think or even begin to imagine. Yeah. That is the scripture I live my life by. Yeah. Because I remember being in that psychiatric unit saying to God, "All right, God. <laughs> you didn't let me die. Mm. You did all you kept me alive to sh- 
so that I can finally realize who you are. Yeah. Make my life worth living. Mm. I don't want I didn't want to go through all that just to go through life and be average. Yeah. I wanted to experience the fullness of of what God has for me. And I and that's why when I when I heard your wife's podcast, I was like, yes, exactly. Like she's talked about wanting the fullness of God and yeah. the menu that we have on. Like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. And I want you to know if you're listening to this, that l- listen, you have no idea what God wants to do in and through your life. Mm. I mean, some people can fantasize about what he wants to do through, but I'm talking about in and through. He wants to make you so whole on the inside that even when people reject you, you still have confidence in yourself. Mm. He wants to make you so whole on the inside that even when you fail and you bomb it and you do terrible and you have a, a terrible day and you relapse, you still know that you're loved. Yeah. God. And now we get to work from love. Rather, for love. Yeah. And, and that's the inward work he wants to do. And all that external stuff flows from that inward place. When, when you, it says freely we receive, freely we give. When you freely receive that love, mm. you can freely give that love. That's yeah. what ministry is. Yeah. Ministry is not about taking. It's not about <laughs> applause. It's not about any of that. It's not about people retweeting you. <laughs> It's about giving. And we got a lot of ministers who can't give because they haven't received the true love of God. Wow. It's huge. So I just want you to know that you have no idea what God wants to do in and through your life. And that if you allow him to do the inward work, the outward work comes natural and easy because as freely as you receive is as freely as you'll be able to give. Mm-hmm. So let God love you. If you struggle to pray... If, if this relationship with God seems abstract at time, guess what? He already knows. Talk to him about it, man. Find what works for you. Get a, get, a, get a place of solitude that works. Get in an environment that works. For me, I wasn't the guy that could kneel and pray. My pastor did that. That was sacred to him. He felt like every time he came before God, he, him kneeling was, was sacred. And he would have these just serious moments with Jesus. And I tried to imitate that, and I fell straight to sleep. <laughs> that's right. And I found out that I like walking and talking to the Lord. And that's what works for me. And God speaks to me the same way he speaks to him, just in a different setting and environment. So, you know, if you're struggling with figuring out how do I cultivate this love relationship with Jesus, like, talk to him about it. F- try something different. But know that he is eagerly, desperately wanting to be that close and do that inward and outward work in and through your life. My second favorite scripture is this. I know I keep talking, man. You got the pastor going. Keep going, bro. You're killing it. All right. Always remember this. It says that he is at the right hand of the Father forever making intercession for us. That is always his posture. He is always for us. So anytime we feel contrary to that, that is the voice of the enemy because he is always saying, get back up. And that's how you make your comeback. That is awesome. 
you know, just thinking through so much that was said, you know, whether you're somebody who is still on the front end of your journey that's struggling or you are a longtime believer, follower of Jesus. I mean, you just hit on it. It's just so easy to get off of the of the central gospel message that it is all about him, what he's done, how he's loved us. We're not looking and working for love, but working from love. And um, just as I'm sitting over here listening, just getting set free, um, if I had to, to, to just label this talk, just freedom and empowerment, I mean, so much more than that. But gosh, I mean, it's just, you know, for the listeners today to be able to hear that, to be inspired that you're never too far gone. Doesn't matter if right now that somehow you got a hold of this podcast and you're sitting in a men- mental institution, your whole life has been wrecked. You feel like your identity has been stripped from you. But that, you know, just seeing those God ordained storms. I remember you telling me that Jonah was one of your favorite places to to preach from. And yeah. um, last night I was I was talking through some of that and just seeing how God will put these storms in our lives to be able to get our attention to show us like, hey, look, you know, <laughs> I mean, you can you can keep running, but it it, it is going to be rough and it is going to be difficult. And His ability to be able to love us in that place when life doesn't make sense. So. Um, I mean, there was really just as, as I listened today and, you know, a lot of times on these podcasts, I want to, you know, interrupt and, and drill and dig and, and do all of that. But it just it flowed so perfectly. Um, Daryl, I just um, just honored to to be your friend, um, to be able to run with you in ministry and, Likewise. you know, Glenn, um, you know, connecting us and just, you know, all that we're doing and, and being able to come together for moments like this, just to be able to, to preach truth and to inspire and to encourage and to point people back to Jesus, the one who is worthy of it all. I love you, man. I love you too, man. Got anything else before we go? Um, you mentioned Jonah. Okay. <laughs> and I, I tell you one of my favorite. Now, this is speculation, man. This is not like uh, the gospel truth. But one of my favorite things about preaching that story is that when you look at how God set him, gave him a second chance, he goes and prophesies to Nineveh. You never hear about him stopping, shaving, changing his clothes, anything. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's exciting to me. Here's why. Because God gave him the second chance to fulfill his purpose, but he still had the residue of yesterday on him. Wow. I, I imagine him preaching with seaweed on his face, I mean, water in his ears, looking like I made a wreck of my life, wow. but yet still preaching revival. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah, and still one of the greatest moves of God ever it. to break out. Yeah, they all repented. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that what we want? Right, Just smelling <laughs> like the inside of a well. <laughs> so if you're smelling like the baggage from yesterday, you can still be used by God. Yeah. That's yeah. it. That's powerful. You shouldn't have talked about Jonah. I was ready to. Bro, now we're set up for part two. We're coming back for part two. This is awesome. Oh, love you. All right, love you. You guys got it. It's your comeback season. Awesome. Bless you guys. We're out. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.